One of the amazing things we've seen is the access for MSLs in particular remaining by the end of the summer of 2020. It was basically back up to what it was prior to lockdowns everywhere. What do you do tomorrow? How can you learn from your customer experience? And how can you learn it quickly and really close the loop and take an action? Hello, and thank you for joining us on this edition of the ZS Associates podcast. My name is Jennifer Curtis, and I am your host. The COVID pandemic disrupted the traditional face-to-face engagement model between pharmaceutical company reps and medical science liaisons and healthcare professionals. While virtual visits from reps dropped during this time, healthcare professional demand for interactions with medical science liaisons, commonly referred to as MSLs, remained relatively consistent. However, while MSLs continued to engage with them, CS research shows that only 30% were satisfied with the experience. In this episode, we're exploring the role of medical affairs in shaping stakeholder engagement strategies across both traditional and digital channels and what this means for the future of medical affairs. Joining me today are ZS Associates Global Medical Practice Leaders, Sarah Jarvis and Bora Erdenley. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Jarvis. I lead our Global Medical Affairs Consulting Practice at ZS. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Bora Ardamli. I'm leading our medical affairs practice in Europe. So Sarah, Bora, let's start with some foundational understanding. When we're talking about medical affairs within a biopharma organization, what does that include and how is that function typically engaging with stakeholders outside the organization? Sarah? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This is one of those areas where when we look at what I'll call the typical medical affairs, you can think of it as really sitting between the development organization and the commercial organization. And I, I like to think of it as that bridge between the two, where on the one hand, you've got an overlap with the development organization because they've got uh, evidence generation responsibilities. But the part we're really gonna talk about today is what I consider the overlap with the commercial organization. So you're, you have medical folks who are really the, what we call sometimes the scientific face of the organization who are engaging externally with key stakeholders. And those folks can range from, Uh, KOLs, key opinion leaders that are physicians and HCPs, um, all the way through uh, nurse practitioners, payers, uh, decision makers in IDNs and other organizations, um, all the way through to, in some cases, um, patient advocacy groups. So these are the folks who are really, as you start to think about external engagement, both bringing ideas back in-house from those customers, um, but also making sure that the key customers understand the the science and have the education about their company's products. And Bora, what are your thoughts on it? So um, Sarah really built a good foundation around what medical affairs organizations do today. And I think in the future, the other role that the medical affairs organizations are going to play is to become the insight generator for the broader organization. The role that they play as a bridge between development and uh, commercial give them a unique position to be able to 
participate in a lot of the activities throughout the life cycle of a molecule, as well as the, the main bridge between external stakeholders and new bridges with new stakeholders like patient advocacy groups, social and online influencers will give, give them an opportunity to understand and identify insights that would help really design the, the strategies that the organizations are deploying today, not only also medical affairs strategies, but also have an opportunity to impact how commercial or broader franchise strategies should be shaping up for the, for the life cycle of a product. And I think even feeding back into the development, right? Bora, I think that's what's so exciting about this middle position, if you will. Um, we've heard it called the third pillar as well, but this ability to bring those insights back to development and to commercial. That's an excellent point. What we are seeing across the uh, across spectrum that medical affairs organizations are looking for ways to be able to get in close to the patient, really bringing that patient insight into the development process so that they can design and develop molecules that would help patients, right, the way that they, they really need it. Because going back to our insight generation machinery, the, you know, medical affairs organization is the one that have a true understanding of where the medical unmet need are. And I think they are in a unique position to be able to make these connections for the betterment of the patient. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, right? Obviously, they're in this um, really critical role between development and commercial. And, and I think what's really interesting is that we're seeing medical affairs and MSLs in particular becoming increasingly influential and really engaging key opinion leaders in physicians versus kind of the standard commercial customer facing roles. I think you touched on it a bit, but but what do you think is really driving this shift? I can jump in on that one, Jen. I I definitely we've talked about this a lot. COVID is a, has been a huge accelerator for medical. Uh, we've talked about it as you know the roadmaps that that across medical and especially for support of medical science liaisons, those MSLs. The roadmaps that were in place for the next three to five years, companies are now being asked to get them done in 12, 18 months. And, um, and they've really pivoted to make sure that that external engagement, um, largely because of COVID and, and um, not being able to be in person, it's been a big shift. So one of the amazing things we've seen is uh, the access for MSLs in particular, remaining by the end of the summer of 2020, it was basically back up to what it was prior to lockdowns everywhere. Whereas, you know, the data we've seen on the sales side saw a much more precipitous and longer term drop off. Uh, MSLs have maintained 30 to 60 minutes with HCPs and external stakeholders, even virtually. And um, really, I think that's very much because of a lot of the impact that MSLs have had historically and continue to have with these stakeholders in terms of being a, a trusted resource and, and a, again, the scientific face of the company. And Sarah, I think if I might, might want to add on to what you just described, I think uh, we've been doing a lot of research talking to KOLs and physicians about the value that they are uh, seeing and interacting with the medical affairs organizations and particularly with the MSLs. But we have seen that very close to 90% of KOLs value MSLs as a reliable source of scientific information. And I think the most importantly, again, almost 90% of these KOLs take an action after interacting with an MSL. 
Yeah, so Amy, Sarah, I know you had some interesting research on the, the ratio of sales reps to MSLs. Could you share a bit more on that? Sure. It's one of the measurements we've been keeping track of actually for a few years now. So back in 2014, when we first looked at it, we saw 10 sales reps to every one MSL. And over time, we've tracked it. And actually, we have the most recent data in 2020 holding steady to where it was in 2018, which is eight to one, which means it's actually coming much closer that there, there are more MSLs. And I think it's really a recognition especially in today's environment of what MSLs are being asked to do for their customers in terms of sharing data, the increasing scientific complexity. The other point I'll just add, at least in our experience with the 50 plus companies we've worked with since the start of COVID in March, 2020, only two have actually decreased their MSL team size. And one of those, they recognize the MSLs shouldn't actually get smaller, but they realized they needed to because of a proportional response to how much smaller the commercial team was getting. So kind of building on that point, how is this shifting and reshaping expectations of what the role of medical affairs in MSLs is or, or should be? Bora, I think you had some interesting ideas on that. Absolutely, Jan. I think what we are seeing across the industry that the demand for the medical affairs organizations and roles are growing and growing in a very fast speed. I think this is a testament to what are the different stakeholders that the organizations are engaging with and the amount of demand for you know, medically driven scientific conversation is unprecedented. And that creates a lot of pressure on the medical affairs organizations to really start thinking about how the role should be changing for the future, right? Where is the value that medical affairs organizations can create the most? A lot of organizations are looking into really understanding what are the skills and capabilities that's needed for uh, the medical affairs professionals to be really effective in this new normal that we are working towards. One of the realizations that the organizations have, I think the role of the future is going to be able to um, be only be effective if they are able to use different tools and technologies and channels that's available to them. There is really no one MSL that can do all, right? I think the, the key is to be able to really understand where they can provide the most value and how they can be supported by other tools and technologies to be able to do the, the work that, that needs to be done and the interaction that needs to be had with the external stakeholders. Yeah, and I'll add on to that, Bora. I think one of the, the biggest changes for medical and really all of us, but definitely medical and MSLs is digital. The virtual and digital. And I think the virtual piece of it, everybody's shifted and made that, you know, pretty much successful. I, I think there's still some elements of EQ that, that companies are still looking into further supporting their, their MSLs in, in that engagement. But the digital piece, I think, is really exciting because if you think about external engagement, um, that can come in bite-sized educational pieces. Um, digitally. It can certainly come virtually or face-to-face -face, or as uh, some MSL leadership has shared, mask-to-mask -mask in the near term. Um, but I think with that, what we're also seeing is um, some of those more specialized roles, um, which are certainly emerging. I mean, the HUR payer-focused role has been around for a while, but we've seen an increase in the last 
three years of about 20% in size, which I, I think is um, a recognition of the, the asks for that type of information. And then I, I would just say from a field medical perspective, it's figuring out how to work across the entire medical organization to make sure that the right information is going to the right stakeholder in the right way. And so maybe that's a person or maybe it's a bite-sized educational piece online. It's, it's exciting to see. If I just build on that, Sarah, I think we talked a lot about how the role is changing externally and what the role needs to do. Also internally, what we've been seeing is the work integrated is actually happening, whether it is about building integrated strategy for the franchise or whether it's building an integrated evidence strategy for your therapeutic area or whether it's in an appropriate way, creating an integrated way of engaging your customers and the planning process. I think there's a lot of demand for the both development and commercial organization to pull medical in and be an actual player in the development of these critical pieces because they've seen the value, they heard it from their stakeholders. Now they would like to be able to make use of the great knowledge and insights the medical organizations are bringing in. And I think it's similar to the external the skills that Sarah talked about. I think now there is a lot of emphasis on how does medical affairs professionals can do a better job about, you know, thinking about the strategy, right? And how can they pressure test it? How can actually bring different sorts of information to be able to be a good insights to the evidence generation process? I think those are um, maybe in the past, not the top demands and the requirements for the role, but that's changing as well. I love that, Bora. I will say I've heard it described as medical now has a seat at the table, but what internal stakeholders really want is for them to have a voice at the table because they recognize the value that they bring. You know, it's fascinating. It seems like there are so many expectations and possibilities for the, the future of med affairs and engagement. You know, you talked about being a strategy partner. Um, this collaborator, you know, building relationships, making connections both internally in the organization and externally, um, and also this whole kind of, you know, virtual angle and being able to navigate that world. What does that mean about the skills that will be required to be successful in the future? Maybe I can start with really, you know, just talking about a little bit what's, what's in the heart of making a change like this. I think for the medical organizations, to me, it's really important to be a truly stakeholder-centric. And almost when you think about the way that you used to be engaging with these external stakeholders, there are some traditional ways of thinking about these stakeholders planning for the engagement. The way that we are engaging with our customers as stakeholders are changing. The organization who has a um, competitive advantage is to take that customer journey perspective. Thinking your engagement process as a continuum, right? Really focus on understanding your customers and, and thinking about all the other uh, touch points that you might have with these, these stakeholders, right? I think this is also, in an obviously in an appropriate way, doing it across different functions as well. And often think about your, your investigators in one of, top of, one of your top clinical trials could be also a top KOL in your area and might be also um, you know, a it's someone that you want to talk to post-launch, right? I think that there's a lot of spectrum in that you you need you, you work with these individuals over a long period of time. And I think in order for medical affairs organizations to be able to do it, I think there are four steps to do that. I think one of the first step is really setting the foundation 
and understanding what information and data that they have today, putting them onto a really good infrastructure and, and connecting them in an appropriate way. Second thing is really deepening this understanding of their stakeholders. And this can be also external and internal, but really bringing other non-conventional data sources to be able to build these profiles, but go beyond what the data tells you and really understand who these individuals really are, what motivates them and what they really need and want. And then thinking about this customer journey, really building an automated stakeholder experience, right? And making sure that the steps that you are taking in this journey with your stakeholder is connected in a meaningful way based on the information that you built. And then the most advanced companies are thinking about how do they personalize it? If you think about medical affairs organizations, there are a number of different channels that you have in your repository, right? The medical education, medical information, your MSLs, scientific congresses. How can you create a unique experience for your stakeholders to be able to communicate your scientific narrative and also learn from their experiences and insights? And I would say the, the elephant in the room here, to be very blunt, is essentially the companies that are jumping ahead in medical are investing in medical, not even on par, but getting closer to the same level that they do on commercial. And, and I don't mean that on a per person basis, but we see things where we know that on the commercial side, there are, for instance, hundreds of people dedicated to analytics and support. And in the same company, you ask the VP of medical affairs, what does your analytics group look like? And they talk about a person, right? And so what we're seeing with COVID though, I think is an analytics, advanced analytics is one example of that, but the types of support and investment to ensure that all of the, the four steps that Bora was talking about are even possible in a medical organization. Without the right support functions, you can't even begin that journey. It's such a good point, Sarah. So if you were to be making recommendations for a company that really wants <laughs> to build up their medical affairs capability, like what would they need to do and why? What we've seen actually to be quite successful, um, and it, it's actually interesting, we've seen a lot of people come over from various support functions on the commercial side um, over the years. And, and what you see often is uh, culture shock to start with. <laughs> Wait a minute, you know, commercial had X, Y, and Z five years ago. Why doesn't medical have the same level of support? But I think getting the right skill sets to Bora's point to, to support what medical needs is absolutely vital. And then on top of that, that shift and additional support absolutely has to come with the patient and the medical non-promotional appropriate focus in mind. And I, I think that's where we see companies struggle the most when you carve out some support functions, but they truly don't understand medical. A lot of quite frankly, silly mistakes are made. And because of compliance concerns, things are shut down very quickly when in fact it's best of intentions, but poor execution. And so making sure to navigate that in the right way is so important. And also maybe the other area that I can think about is for me successful medical affairs organizations is to 
really have a strategic vision about what their next couple of years look like, but at the same time, taking swift actions to create impact today. Let's think about this. I mean, every company that we work with, pretty much they're thinking about their digital transformation or you know, uh, moving to much more connected uh, digital way of engaging with their customers. And I've seen a three to five years plan, a lot of different initiatives, really great thinking. But, but I haven't seen what do you do tomorrow? Like, how can you learn from your customer experience? And how can you learn it quickly and really close the loop and take an action? I think the, the organizations that create impact and start to build that foundation of good customer experience, the ones that they start doing things today. I think when you, when you have that vision, you need to have a balanced way of actually doing things today. And it's absolutely so important because medical is just being asked more and more every day to take on more in terms of external stakeholder engagement. And so the the more that they're supported and Bora, to your point, the more that they're uh, taking those immediate next steps, but with that long-term vision in mind, they can do so much good to support HCPs, payers, patients. Today we discuss how the role of medical affairs is continuing to evolve and increasingly shape wider external stakeholder engagement strategies. The need to invest in and evolve medical affairs as part of a wider external strategy will require more integration and collaboration with commercial functions. This will be increasingly important to deliver consistent, relevant, and tailored experience across both in-person and digital channels for both medical and commercial. That's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the ZS Associates podcast. <laughs>